The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Tonight, if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. I want to preach to you on the topic, run for your life. Run for your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. Flee fornication. Flee fornication. And we'll finish reading that verse in a minute, but before we do, as I said, the topic tonight, and, and I can't be more urgent in what I'm preaching to you and what I'm saying to you than what I'm, a, what I'm trying to say here right now, and that is, Run for your life. That's what this verse is saying. Because he goes on to say, Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. I've been impressed with this subject for some time, and, um, and that's been on my mind this whole week, really, Brother Buddy. And, and I was... You know, it's not an easy subject to preach on. It's not an easy subject to, to deal with, and you want to deal with it in a very uh, tactful way. Uh, but after yesterday's messages about living in Babylon and, and the other things that we heard, and then the message this morning that Brother Buddy preached to us about saving ourselves from this untoward generation, it just it's amazing how the Lord confirms what is on your mind if you're a preacher, and I trust this is of the Lord. And so, uh, so again, tonight I want to preach to you about fleeing fornication, or as I say, run for your life. <laughs> now, we live in a post-Christian society. I, 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 I take no pleasure in saying that, but I have no hesitation saying that as well. And what that means is, is that our society, our culture, in the United States of America is no longer focused on Christian values, no longer guided by the, the scriptures. And, and, and I understand that we're not, the, law, the Bible is not the law of the land. I get that. It's not supposed to be the law of the land, but the law of the land is based upon the Bible. We're living in a time, however, where people want to throw away the Bible. They want to put away these uh, these Christian values and, and enter us into a time when we're uh, open-minded and we're considering all sorts of other options out there. Uh, you know, the Bible is old fogey. Uh, Christian beliefs are no longer relevant. And, and so uh, now we've got to look at what the science says and look at what the philosophers say. And, and, and basically, uh, we're at a point where anything goes in our society. Uh, What's good for you, what, what, you know, your truth is, is good for you. If it, if it doesn't agree with my truth, that's fine. My truth is good for me. <laughs> you know, if one plus one is three for you, hey, that's fine. <laughs> but I don't want you building any bridges that I'm going to drive across at least. You see, there's still truth in this world. There's still, there's still facts and and. and and, and things that are right and wrong, there's still that in our society. But we're living in a time when we're basically in Babylon, Brother Buddy. As Brother Josh Coker preached yesterday, he said, Brother Josh said, we're headed towards Babylon. I told him after the service, I'm afraid we're already there. <laughs> maybe not, maybe not, but we're, we're headed that way quickly. So we need, we need some guiding principles. And let me, let me also give you a little definition. The word fornication here is the Greek word pornia. Sound familiar? <laughs> Pornography, pornographic. That's where we get those words, pornia. And, and basically what it is is any illicit sexual activity outside of marriage. Adultery is under the general... Um, uh, category, the general heading of fornication. For, but fornication includes not just adultery, but anything that occurs in that area outside of marriage. And, and, and we need some guiding principles because you see, it's too late. It's too late when you wake up with your head in Delilah's lap. 
It's too late to decide then. It's too late to pray then. It's too late to say, well, I wonder what I'm going to do. When you wake up with your head in Delilah's lap and you stand up to go forth, as Samson did, and, and you don't even realize that the Spirit of the Lord has departed, it's too late at that point. So I say this again, that uh, we, need, we need some guidance. And I, I also share with you what I've shared many times, and I share it again. I don't, I don't apologize for repetition because we're told in, in the Word of God, I believe it's in the book of Ezekiel, that the Word of God is like a nail. Uh, it's like a nail in a sure place. And, you know, I don't know, Brother Glennon, if you've ever tried to drive a nail with one hard lick. If you have, you probably busted your thumb pretty good. Because a nail doesn't get driven with one lick. It's many small taps, you see. You have to drive and drive and drive it to drive it home. But Brother Sonny Pyle said, I'm repeating myself as I said, but I'm not apologizing for it. Brother Sonny Pyle said, if you live at the top of a high cliff, you would much rather build a high wall at the top of that cliff than a first aid station at the bottom. <laughs> you see, that's, a, that's a, a true statement. And that's what I'm doing here tonight, beloved. That's what I'm doing. That's why I'm preaching this. I believe that's why the Lord led me to, because I, I want you to be protected from the need for the emergency room. The spiritual emergency room is not a good place to be. Although, hey, the Lord has one. <laughs> Don't give up hope if, if, if you've... If you, we'll talk about that too. If you miss the boat in some of these things, don't give up hope because the Lord has a spiritual. In fact, that's a, to a great extent, that's what the church is. It's a spiritual hospital where we can come and have our wounds bound, bound up, you see. So let's talk about this for just a minute, okay? Remember, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Uh, we're going to go back and pick up some of these uh, other verses, but I want, you to, I want to give you an idea about Paul's audience here. Uh, Paul's audience was the Corinthian church. And the society in Corinth, and indeed throughout the ancient Near East, throughout the Roman Empire to a great extent, but especially the ancient Near Eastern culture over there, um, the, uh, the, the, was, it was a hypersexualized culture, okay? Prostitution was rampant. Adultery was expected. Uh, a man who married was expected to have a girlfriend on the side. He was expected to protect his wife and take care of his wife, but it was just a given that he was going to commit adultery during the course of that marriage. Even pagan worship involved, get this, it involved both hetero and homosexual practices. There were temple prostitutes, both male and female, in some of those pagan uh, uh, pagan worship practices that they would go to and that they would participate in. It, it was like it was a fertility culture. It was a fertility ritual, you see. Even the emperor Tiberius, who according to what I see was the emperor during the time that Jesus was, uh, was crucified, not at the time he was born, but at the time he was crucified, the emperor Tiberius, according to ancient writers, was a pedophile. He, he the, the leader, the leader of the free world, so to speak, it wasn't a free world, he was the emperor, but the leader of that Roman Empire was a pedophile and engaged in some of the most awful practices. Nero, who was probably the emperor at the time 1 Corinthians was written around 53 or 54 AD was a wicked, murderous, um, promiscuous emperor. And, and it, was, it, was so, it was just anything goes, as I said. Purportedly, according to some of the ancient writers, he actually married at different times two of his male slaves. He married them. I mean, a ceremony of marriage, and one of them, he was the bride. <laughs> I don't mean to get all gross and, and, and crass on you tonight, but I just want you to understand this was a society where pretty much anything goes. And I want to ask you a question. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Does that sound familiar? It's, it's pretty much where we are today, isn't it? You know, all of the things that, uh, that we read about, that we cringe at, 
all you got to do is get on the internet and look up the news. I'm not talking about some obscure website. Look up the mainline news and you're going to read about many of these same things. And you know the, the rest of that story is in many ways it's even worse today because in that day it took a while for the news for example of Nero's marriages to get out to the countryside but today all you got to do is take the phone take the phone that's set up right there we're connected to the internet and just do a search and you can find anything and everything you want. This morning, Brother Buddy preached about how in his day it wasn't quite as easy to, to, be, to access these temptations and to, be, uh, to fulfill these temptations. Uh, and in his father's day, it was even harder. But nowadays, you young folks, I pity you because you have at the, at, the, at the click of a mouse button, not even that anymore, at the touch of a finger on, a, on an iPad or an iPhone, you've got access to everything. And you can end up seeing whatever you want to see and many things you don't. You don't even have to go looking for it. Sometimes, listen, I'm on Facebook, and, you know, I don't know why all these young, good-looking women want to be my friend. You ever notice that? It's always ad friend, and it's, uh, you know, Sarah from, you know, Slovenia or somewhere like that. I mean, it's like, you know, I don't even have to look them up. First time it happened, I looked them up. I said, no, this ain't somebody I want to be friends with. <laughs> or she doesn't know me real well anyway. Uh, hadn't seen my picture lately. But, uh, but, um, but you see, you don't even have to go looking for it. It comes to you. It comes to you. So let's, let's talk about, okay, that's, that's the audience that Paul's talking to. And I believe it's relevant for us today. Because it's even more relevant, you might say, than it was back then, especially for the younger folks and the younger generation. So let's talk about Paul's arguments here. Let's, talk, let's see what's happening. So go back. let's go back now and look at uh, verse 9. He, he, he starts out telling them, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about the kingdom of God, right? He's talking about the same thing that we're talking about here, about nowadays it's the church. In that day it was the church. Before that time it was the nation of Israel. But in, then he says something interesting here. Before we get all too, too high and mighty, and you, you know, some, some of you may say, well, I'm, you know, I never have done that, so I'm going to check out. It's not, listen, he says, such were some of you. Such were some of you, okay? Some, some might say, well, I'm, oh, preacher, if you're telling me that's wrong, I've, I've, com I've committed some of these sins, I'm, I guess I need to get up and leave now. No, no, such were some of you, okay? And in fact, <clears throat> I might put it this way because I don't want you to think I'm preaching to you alone. Such were some of us, okay? See, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. But, but notice then what happens. Okay, such were some of you, but ye are washed. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We're going to come back to this in a minute. But what he's basically referring to here is that there was a time when all the things you see around you that are happening were things you wanted to do too. <laughs> now, you say, wait a minute, I still want to do those things. Yes, you do. Because you still got the old man in you, but he's saying there's something changed in you now that won't allow you to just do it. Well, they'll allow you to do it, and eventually they might allow your your conscience might be seared to it. But I'm going to tell you, till you get to that point, it's going to hurt you. <laughs> You're not going to be happy. Okay? He says something's changed in you. You're not who you used to be. You're not what you ought to be, but you're not what you used to be. That's kind of the condition we're all in, right? Now, listen to this, and I want you to look particularly at verses 12 and 13 because I believe right here, I believe the Corinthians were justifying their practices. There was a lax attitude toward 
this kind of fornication that was going on, and even within their church, by the way, I don't want to get into that, but Brother Buddy mentioned this morning, there was even a man in the church that was having an affair with his stepmother. Uh, at least that's the way I believe it's interpreted to be interpreted there. And they weren't doing anything about it. They were open-minded. Brother Buddy said this morning, I love that, he said, we're an open-minded church. We're not going to judge anybody. <laughs> we're going to just, you know, hey, what's good for you is good for you. What's good for we welcome all. You know, I, I hear that on NPR all the time. We're a, I can't remember how they put it, but there's some church in Tuscaloosa that uh, believes that all kinds of discrimination, and they don't mean just racial, certainly racial discrimination should never be part of the church, but, but in other words, being discriminating, that is being discerning, knowing right from wrong doesn't matter in this church. <laughs> there's even a church, by the way, that you can go to that you don't even have to believe. You can be an atheist and be a member of it. The Unitarian Universalist Church, um, not all of them, but one or, one or two that I've People that I've talked to say, oh, yeah, you can be an atheist and be a member of our church. I don't get that. <laughs> I don't get that. But, uh, but be that as it may, um, here he says these, these, these Corinthians were justifying themselves in two different ways, apparently. They were using two excuses. One excuse was a theological excuse. One excuse the other excuse was a scientific excuse. The theological excuse is this. <clears throat> hey, we're children of God. We're born again. I, I think they probably understood election. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We've got liberty. We can do whatever we want. And we don't have, there'll be nothing, you know, we're, it's not going to keep us from going to heaven. <laughs> now, let me just stop there and say, is that not what they accuse us of saying so many times? Well, if I believe the way you did, I'd just do, I'd live any way I wanted to. I never forget Brother J.C. Brother J.C. Russian, uh, who was my pastor for many years, said a, said a lady told him that one time. Said, "Well, preacher, if I believed the way you did, I'd live any way I wanted to." He said, "Amen, lady. I believe you would." <laughs> <laughs> Might not be the best response, but uh, but it was pretty funny. I thought. Uh, uh, but that's what they were saying. They're saying, "Hey, we got liberty. We can do this." And Paul debunks this approach as well as the other one we're going to get to. And Paul says this in verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. In other words, he's saying we should not use our liberty for license. See, this is the theological argument. We're born again, we're children of God, therefore we can do whatever we want to do. Well, there's truth in that. I can do just about anything I want to do, but I may regret it greatly <laughs> after I do it, you see. And Paul says, listen, I've just told you that you're born again. I've just told you, and in fact, I'm going to tell you in a few minutes over in verse 19, what, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God? And listen to this, I love this. Ye are not your own. Boy, in America, we don't like to hear that, do we? I'm not a slave to anybody. I'm my own man. I'm a self-made man. I'm a, you know, rugged individualism. We love, we love John Wayne, right? Ain't nobody going to tell John Wayne what to do, <laughs> you know? John Wayne's going to tell you what to do. He's going to, you know, nobody's going to tell me what to do. You know, and, and, and I heard, I've told you this before. There's a song out there called Jesus and John Wayne. It's a, it's, a, it's a southern gospel song by the Gaither Vocal Band, one of my favorite songs. And basically the song says, most every day I'm living somewhere between Jesus and John Wayne. <laughs> Isn't that our lives? You know, on the one hand, you're not going to tell me what to do. Pilgrim, you know, you're gonna, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not gonna uh, stop me from doing what I want to do. And on the other hand, we know we ought to be submissive, and we ought to be putting down the flesh and being slaves to God. Right? That's kind of where I am. I'll tell you. Notice what he says, though. He says, "All things are lawful unto me." In other words, I'm a child of God, regardless. But all things are not expedient. That word expedient means profitable. All things aren't good for you, you know. Yes, when my children were little, they could. They had the freedom to stick their finger in the, lights, the light uh, out, the plug, the electrical outlet. They had the freedom to do that, but guess what? It wasn't good for them. They wouldn't do it but one time. <laughs> you know, there's a reason we, you know, they didn't have... <laughs> 
we got those little latches that go on the cabinets, you know, that you can't open them. And I, can, I can't remember if it was Mason or Austin. I don't know. I think it was one of the boys, though. I can just remember them standing there one time going, dee, 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 trying to pull, you know, just trying their best to open it. Just find, stop it, son, stop, you know. And thinking they, they, they wanted in that cabinet. But, you know, there was stuff in that cabinet that would hurt them. There was stuff in that cabinet they didn't need to get to, you know. It wasn't good for them. It wasn't, I need, I have the right to do, well, you may have the right, but you also have the right to get hurt, you see. Paul says all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. They're not all profitable. In Galatians chapter 5, he says, Brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Have you ever been guilty of that? I'm afraid I have. I'm afraid there's been times when, when I've said, well, I'm going to do it anyway. You ever been there? I'm going to do it. You know, what you're saying, you may not be thinking this in your mind, but you're basically saying, I'm a child of God. I can't go to hell. I'm going to do it anyway. You know, I'm going to do it anyway. Now, listen, that doesn't just have to apply to fornication. That can apply to any sin, you know. Y'all, forgive me. I'm going to make my brother laugh again. So my, great, my grandmother, our grandmother, Springer, uh, I've told you this before, but it just keeps, anyway, I, I'm, gonna, I'm a fool for Christ's sake, right? So I'm going to make myself into a fool again. So when I, was, when I was, even in my teens now, I'm not talking about just as a kid, but when I was even in my young, early teens, she had this pudding that she cooked. It was, it was amazing. And it's still, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about it right now, wishing I had some. It, it was great, okay? And so... Um, so and I, I would eat that pudding till I ate so much that I would get sick. And, and I would have to lay on the couch while Tim was out in the yard playing. <laughs> I'd have to lay on the couch. And I did it every time. <laughs> I did it every time. I didn't just, you know, I wasn't, not only was I a sinner, I was a foolish sinner. I kept, so gluttony is a sin, right? Gluttony is a sin. So I would eat that pudding. You know, hey, it was so good. And by golly, I had the right to eat it. She was my grandmother. She would say, oh, have some more, son. Eat more. Here's some more. That's a, and I'd keep eating it. And I'd keep going. Said, well, I'm going to eat me some more. And it won't be as bad this time as it was last time. And every time it was just as bad. See, I could do it because I had the right to do it. I had the legal right. I had the liberty to do it. But oh, oh, my. The consequence was always bad, you see. So the idea here is that there's a lot of stuff you can be you, can, you have liberty to do it, but the license that you're taking with your flesh will come back to bite you, you see. In, in chapter 5 of Galatians, back up, that was verse 13, back up in verse 1, he said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, I believe that primarily is talking about what we understand about salvation. Primary, that they were getting away from grace. They had, in fact, in one place he says, you are fallen from grace. That doesn't mean you fell out of it. doesn't mean you're no longer a child of God. It just means that you have forgotten that you were redeemed by the blood of Jesus plus nothing. You, you, were, you, were, you, were, uh, you were redeemed by grace alone, saved by grace alone, okay? And you're getting entangled with the idea that you've got to work your way to heaven. You're getting entangled with that yoke of bondage. But it also, I believe, is a reference to the fact that once we've been born again, and once we understand why or how that we've been redeemed, that we should not come back under the bondage of sin. He says back in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12, all things are lawful for me in the last part of that verse, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Somewhere in the book of Romans, and I, didn't, I don't remember the exact location, it says something to the effect that whosoever you serve, you're a slave to that. You're a slave to that. So, so he's saying here, don't bring that argument to me. He said, this, this, this idea that I'm, I'm a child of God and I have liberty, therefore I can go out and commit fornication. I can, I can modify my way of living to match the world's way of living. That doesn't fly in God's book. 
In fact, I mean, you can commit murder and still go to heaven, right? But Paul, Paul's an example of that. I could have convicted Paul in a court of law for aiding and abetting a murder, the murder of Stephen. But you know what Paul also said about himself? You read the seventh chapter of Romans sometime, and you'll see how, how much of a struggle he had inside. And I'm sure part of it was based on what he had done in the past, you see. He remembered, and in one place he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, in chapter 7, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? In one place he calls himself the chiefest of sinners. He saw himself that way. There were consequences to what Paul did. Don't use your liberty for license. That's the theological argument. But they were also using a scientific argument. They said in verse 13, notice what he said, meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Apparently, they were saying our appetites, our natural appetites drive us toward fornication. And we might say it today like, well, boys will be boys. Uh, Got to go sow your wild oats, you know. I want to say there's a, there's a perfect one-word answer to that way of thinking. Hogwash. <laughs> Hogwash. That is not true. In fact, most of modern psychiatry is premised on the belief that it's just natural for people to want to engage in fornication. In fact, if you'll, if you'll go read some of the books and you'll see some of the, uh, some of the uh, documentaries, they're always putting down the Christian idea of morality. They're always putting that down. They say, well, you know, your biggest problem is is your, your mom and daddy and your preacher taught you that it was wrong to go out and, and commit fornication. <laughs> well, you know, they taught you that because it is wrong, okay? <laughs> it is. And they were telling you to run from it. Run for your life. Flee fornication because there's some problems with that. People are saying it's natural for people for them to, you know, it's a natural appetite of the body. It's natural for you to want to commit fornication. And to that I say, they are exactly right. <laughs> it is natural. It is completely natural. And therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. <clears throat> Over in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, Paul says this about nature, about the natural mind. In verse, Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, he says, For to be carnally minded, that is naturally minded, a natural man, thinking, and listen, you're a natural man. Even if you've been born of the Spirit, you have the natural man still within you. You still have the earthly appetites. But that carnal man, okay, to be carnally minded is, well, a little bit of a problem, but if you come back, it'll be... No, beloved, it's, it's death. It's death. There's a reason he said... We're going to talk about that in a minute. There's a reason he says that fornication is a sin against your own body. God knows what's best. <laughs> My children did not understand why they couldn't stick their finger in the, in the, uh, in the, the, the plug, the electrical outlet. But I knew why, because it would not be good for them, you see. It wasn't because I wanted to keep them from the shocking experience. It was because I, I knew it would hurt them. I knew it would be a shocking experience. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Don't you want life and peace? Or would you rather have death? <laughs> oh, sure, give me death. <laughs> no, you know, give me life, you know. Give me liberty and life. <laughs> That's what I want. I don't want death in any circumstance. Life and peace. Because, there's a reason, here's the reason. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So when they say it's only natural for men and women to want to engage in fornication, they're telling you the truth, but they're not telling you the whole truth. The whole truth is, is that fornication, that the carnal mind rather, is enmity against God and it will only, you know, there's a way that seemeth right to a man. You know, it seems right that, 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 that you ought to have the right to go out and fulfill the, the lusts of the flesh and, and, the, and, and to, to satisfy the carnal appetites. It just seems right, doesn't it? But the end thereof are the ways of death. Notice what he said in 1 Corinthians 
back in chapter 6 and verse 13, meats for the belly. And the belly, they were apparently saying, hey, it's just natural for us to do that. We have these appetites, it's okay to go fulfill them. Well, he said, look, you also have hunger, right? Meats for the belly and the belly for meats. But guess what? God shall destroy both it and them. In other words, um, the, the, uh, uh, the time is coming when you will not have an appetite. You will not want to eat food. Uh, your belly will not have to be filled. One day, there's something greater coming. And that's what he's saying. That should keep us all focused upon what we ought to be doing. He says, now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. I want you to understand something else, beloved. The very body that you and I are here in tonight, the bodies we have, are the same. Now, wait, don't misunderstand me. Uh, I'm going I'm to clear this up. They're the same bodies that you're going to live forever in heaven in. But they're going to be changed. Okay? But notice, I mean, it's important to remember, these bodies are going to be in heaven. They're going to be changed. They're going to be perfect. But we're not going to be up there in a spirit form. When the resurrection, you, you will be, if you die before the resurrection, you'll be there in spirit. But one day when the resurrection occurs, the body will be rejoined to the spirit. We are going to live there in a place with a physical body that's going to be, well, it's a spiritual body, but it's, it's, a, it's a body is what I'm trying to say. It will be a flesh. It will be something you can touch. It will be, and it will be these bodies that we're in. They'll just be changed. God says, they're my bodies. They're my bodies. He says, I'm going to destroy the belly. I'm going to destroy the, the appetite. So the appetite for fornication is no different than that. And he says, we should remember that our bodies are the modern temple. The modern temple. Look again at verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Man, that's, that's a reminder, isn't it? You're bought, how much, 30 pieces of silver? 50 pieces of silver? What, what, what are you, how, much is, how expensive are you? And you know, you don't look very expensive to me. I don't know why I don't look very expensive to you. I don't look like I'm worth a whole lot, right? You know, you know how much I'm worth? I'm worth the blood of the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. I'm not worth it, but I was worth it to God. I was worth, I'm not my own. I'm bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, we're owned by him. We're owned by him. And he says, back in verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? When I ate all that pudding, it felt like a sin against my body, okay? <laughs> you, you indulge like that, you'll feel like. But, 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 you know, if you commit fornication, if you engage in that physical act that is that outside the bonds of marriage is fornication, you know, it feels good for a moment. There's, there's pleasure in sin for a season, right? So how can that be a sin against your own body? Well, I'm going to try, I'm going to attempt to explain it, I believe biblically, but you may have even better ideas, and that, that'll be something we can talk about. But, uh, but, but the, the, the physical union between a man and a woman is uniquely consigned to the marriage relationship. And it is so important to the marriage relationship that married couples are considered to be, quote, one flesh. One flesh. That's not said about anything else. I can go out to eat with my wife and eat a steak, and she can eat the same steak. We can eat part of the same steak. We can eat off eat different ends of the same steak, and we're not considered one flesh. You know, that doesn't have, that's time spent together. But the, the union between a man and a woman is uniquely consigned to marriage, and it's, and it's said of husband and wife that they are one flesh. That's what it says. Look at verse 15. By the way, verse 14 says, God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. See there, he owns us. He owns us. And then he says, know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. You see, that gives us a little insight into what he meant by two becoming one flesh. It's the physical union along with every... There's many ways that they're the couple are one and we talk a lot of times when I do premarital counseling I talk about it you, you're one spiritually you're one uh, emotionally but but physically is what makes there's something special about that and besides he says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 and I'm going to turn there and read it because I get it wrong let me uh, let me uh, turn over there Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 he says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled he says the, 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 that particular relationship in the context of marriage is honorable. And there's no defilement there. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Why? Because it violates that special relationship. This act that is blessed and unifying within marriage is vile and a curse outside of it. Now, why is it a sin against your own body? I, you know, let me... Let me I don't believe I'm speculating, but let me, let me in, interject uh, some of the things that I believe are, are the reason for that. You see, the physical union between a man and a woman combines elements of the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of what is uniquely you. Okay? All of those aspects are of your of, of the wholeness of what you are are involved in that particular act, in the act of fornication or in the act that occurs within the confines of the marriage, which is blessed by God. And when it's not committed, when, when fornication is committed, it confuses your mind, it confuses your emotions, and it can drag you into a place you don't need to be can drag you into a relationship you don't need to be in. It can cause you to be distant from God. And you know, I, why does God hate adultery so much? I don't know all the answers to that, but I'll tell you this. I think it has to do with the way marriage is supposed to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. And he was always acute. What were the, what were the children of Israel who he called his wife? What were they always doing? They were always committing what he called spiritual adultery. They were going after other gods. They were going after the gods of this world. And, and he's saying to us that, that I have preserved this particular relationship. I have, I have put it in the, into the confines of marriage because marriage reflects my relationship with you. And when you violate those vows, you're showing that you don't care about my relationship with my bride. In verse 15... He said, you're a member of the body of Christ. You're a body part. That's what that means. That word member there means a limb. It's, it's, so you are, you are physically attached. In a, you're actually spiritually attached, but you have, your limbs are physically attached to you, right? Well, in Christ, you are a limb. You are a member. You are a body part that is spiritually attached. And because of that, you're supposed to act differently. Because remember what we said, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. So in the time we have left, let's try, to, let's try to wrap this up by talking about Paul's exit strategy. Paul's exit strategy. What Paul had a very simple exit strategy. What happens when you're faced with a temptation to commit fornication? Young folks, older folks, you know, David was not a young man when he committed fornication. What happens... What should you do? What's the exit strategy when you face the temptation to commit fornication? It's very simple. Run for your life. <laughs> Run for your life. This is not, say, oh, well, Brother Chris, I'm, I know most people would have to run, but I'm a, I'm a warrior for Jesus. I'm tough. Oh, I got the armor on. I can stand strong against the temptation, even in the face of fornication. You know what you are? <laughs> You're a fool. <laughs> because no one, no man, no woman can do that. You know, that's why he told us to run. He didn't say fight fornication. He said flee fornication. 
This is not a sin we're told to fight. This is a sin we're told to run from. Run for your life. <laughs> you know, you're not a coward. I'm not a coward, Brother Chris. You may not be, but you better run from, from this situation. So let's talk about that for a minute. What, what does it mean, flee from it? Well, first of all, flee from it with your eyes. Flee from it from, from your eyes. Uh, we're told in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19, Jesus says, For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts. You know, where does adultery and fornication come from? Out of the heart. Out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. <laughs> He was, they were talking about washing the hands or eating with unwashed hands. That doesn't really matter, but what's in your heart is what matters. Well, how does something get in your heart? Job tells us pretty clearly. Now listen, listen to this. I don't, I don't want you to turn there. I want to quote it to you. I want to see if you catch it. Job 31 and verse 1. I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? Is that what it says? not what it says is it see I tricked you there go read it it says why then should I think upon a maid you know why Job says that you know you think oh I made a covenant with my eyes I'm not going to look upon he said I made a covenant with my eyes I'm not going to think about a maid I'm not going to look upon a woman to think about her because he knew that the eyes are the gateway to the heart and to the mind that's how things get in your mind. That's how things get in your heart is through the eyes. You know, most sin, all sin began with a little look, didn't it? Eve saw the fruit. She saw that it was good to eat, and therefore she ate of it. Beloved, how many times, how many, how many marriages have fallen apart? Where if you traced it all the way back to its genesis, it began with one look. One look. Now, I understand that you can't help but, but see the things that are put in front of you. And that's one of the problems in our society today. But I'll tell you this, beloved. Y'all remember this, young folks, particularly. Now, you can't help a bird flying over your head. But you can keep him from building a nest in your hair. Okay? <laughs> Don't forget that. You can't help it if it comes across your... But, you know, I've seen... I've seen men, particularly. I'm going to pick on men because I am one. You know, a good-looking young lady walks by, and boy, here they go. Those eyes follow her all the way, you know. You see, you, we, we see it on TV. You see that happen on some movies, and a wife's standing there, and she slaps, and he says, what? <laughs> you know, let me tell you something. Now, <clears throat> that little look can lead to action. I want you, let me encourage you to go, when we leave here, uh, those of you that have access to YouTube, primarily you young folks, because <laughs> some of us older folks have it too, but if you have access to YouTube on your phone, look up a song called Slow Fade, Slow Fade by Casting Crowns, what a, it's a, and look up the video, because my goodness, what a, it's about how, it's about how a man, it's actually, it's, it's, it's filmed in reverse. It starts out with, with the wife throwing things and them yelling and screaming at each other. And then it, and then it starts tracing his steps backward. It's, it's an amazing video. And it goes all the way back to the where, how he, and, and the song is about how he wishes he could take it back. How he wishes he could take it back. And it goes all the way back to the point where he had apparently, you know, this whole, you'll see it, the whole scenario has to do with him going on, the husband going on a business trip with, with a nice-looking co-worker that he'd been kind of flirting with. And so, uh, so, of course, you know what happens. And then finally the marriage is destroyed and the children are crying and it's so sad. And, and, and it's taken him backward all this through, to the point where, where he's, he's about to make the decision whether to go on this business trip or not. And his, his, his daughter looks up at him and says, Daddy, are you going to leave us on this trip, to go on this trip? And he looks down and says, no, baby, I'm not. How? You know, that doesn't work that way in real life. You don't get to back up. You don't get to rewind. But, but oh, how, how many people I know, friends of mine, that wish they could rewind and go back to the beginning and take a different path. Flee with your eyes. Flee from it with your attitudes, with your attitudes. There's, 
Over in, first, over in Romans, the first chapter, I, I'm not going to turn there, but I just tell you there's a whole, beginning about verse 26, he calls the role of all the sins, including those that are effeminate, those that abuse themselves with mankind, women changing the natural use of, of to, to go with other women and men with other men and, and, and adultery and fornication and all those kinds of things. And, and ultimately it gets down to the bottom of that and it talks down in the very last verse, and I am going to turn there because I want to get it right, uh, down in the very last verse, verse 32, and it says, these all that he's talked about say, they know the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death and they not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them. Have pleasure in them that do them. Sin is nothing to wink at. Sin is nothing to laugh at. The youthful escapades of young boys and young girls are not funny. They're not fun. There's something to be ashamed of. There's something to wish you had never done it. No, nothing, something to, to, to wish you could rewind. Boys will be boys. You know, why don't we say that and not girls will be girls? <laughs> but girls will be girls too. Girls are, are just as sinful as boys, you see. Girls, boys, doesn't matter. You're a sinner. I was just sowing my wild oats. It's not something to be happy about. That's not something to rejoice in. Don't dismiss it. Lifelong consequences occur when those things happen. And especially for a member of the church. Remember, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. You represent Christ. But remember, too, you represent this church. If you're a member of this church, you represent this church. <clears throat> flee from it with your attitudes what's our attitude towards sin God doesn't wink at it we shouldn't either alright lastly flee from it with your body if you have to flee flee by not putting yourself in that position I know some of you are dating some of you are going to date some of you have dated some of you have finally got married I remember when I preached on dating the last time uh, I think it was the last well no it's the first time after Meredith and John Morgan got married and I was I was preaching on what you ought to do and what you ought not to do when you're dating and Meredith was just sitting there grinning so big I said what were you grinning so big for she said I don't even have to listen to it anymore <laughs> I can sit as close to him as I want to you know <laughs> she didn't say it exactly that way but it was uh, but it was uh, anyway that's how I took it <clears throat> um but, but think about this. Don't put yourself, flee from those situations that, that can cause you to submit or to succumb to the temptation. I'm just going to read a few verses here. First of all, Proverbs 29, 15. A child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So, okay, I understand there's some, there's some alone time when you're dating. There's some time. But don't let that be the primary focus. Don't be always out by yourself you know, trying to, you know, get yourselves away from everybody. We're not, if you're left, you're going to do something. You're going to be tempted to do something shameful. I'm not saying you're going to do it every time, but don't, but don't be tempted. Don't put yourself in the way of temptation. 1 Corinthians 7, 1, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. <laughs> Let me just say this. I can't police you. I can't... Uh, be there. I'm not going to, you know. Now, used to, I used to, they do that, Brother Buddy and Brother Mackey. They'd send somebody on a date with you, right? They'd, they'd send somebody to chaperone. Now, maybe, hey, maybe we ought to go back to that. That sounds like a good idea. But, uh, uh, but, uh, but, but, but I can't be there chaperoning you, or somebody's not going to be there chaperoning you. But just remember this the more physical contact you have, the more you want. You don't, it's not like uh, something where you get, filled up with it and you're okay it's like a fire that's going to keep burning and you know what's the fire a fire has to be fed it continually wants more and more and more beloved it's good for a man not to touch a woman am i telling you not to hold hands i'm not telling you that i'm just telling you be aware of that god said it's not me it's not me it's god god said it okay and probably one that we always we, we forget about too often is 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Abstain from all appearance of evil. I had a couple one time that uh, 
was going to get married. And uh, for various reasons, the wife had to move out from where she was, so she just went ahead and moved in with her fiancé, um, lived with him. Because it was church-related, I sat down and talked with him and said, you really don't need to, oh, we're not doing anything. Oh, we're, we're separate bedrooms. And I said, okay. I, you know, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. But still, I'm on, I'm on. I'll take you at your word because I'm supposed to. But I'm telling you, even if you're not doing anything that you shouldn't be doing, that gives the appearance of evil. And you're not supposed to do that. Don't do that. Don't get, avoid all, abstain. It doesn't just say avoid, abstain. That's a voluntary act. That's not just saying, oh, well, I'll avoid. That's saying I am making a choice not to look like I'm doing anything wrong. Somebody says to you, oh, I was just, I was just flirting, just doing some innocent flirting. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing, okay? Now, I'm not saying you single young men and women out there can't, flirt a little bit with each other in the sense of, you know, talking to each other and being nice to each other and trying to get to know each other. But if you're married, you better not be flirting. <laughs> you better not be. And you better not be just sad, just worried about getting caught either. You better be worried about the fact that, that God frowns upon that. There is no such thing. Let me, let me give you the example, and, and then we'll, we'll bring this to a close. I'm sorry I've gone over a little bit longer than I intended tonight, but... This is so important. I've had such a burden to preach to you about this. You know, you can turn there if you want. It's Genesis 39. You know where I'm going. Joseph. Joseph. Joseph was a good, godly young man. Joseph had him a perfect setup as the world would look at him. He'd been in prison, or he'd been a slave, rather, and he had... He had been purchased by one of the higher-ups in the kingdom there of Egypt. And then he'd been put in charge of his house. And apparently this man was so negligent about what went on in his house, he had no idea. And, and apparently, I don't know if the, the wife was good-looking or, or not, but apparently she, was, um, she was, had some attraction to her, I'll put it that way. And this, this wife started coming on the wife of his master started coming on to Joseph. Now that, you know, you know what, what would happen in the Hollywood movies? How many, how many Hollywood movies have you seen where that very thing happened? And how many, how much, how many tickets would that Hollywood movie sell if, if it didn't involve Joseph saying, yeah, we're going to sneak around behind my master's back? You know, that always, that, that's what sells tickets, right? That's what sells the flesh. Perfect setup. He could, have, he could have gone in there and given in to that temptation, and the world would tell him, man, you're crazy if you don't. Look at the, look at the authority and influence you would have. See, it's not just some slave girl. It's the master's wife. <clears throat> but it says down in... Verse 7 of Genesis 39, It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused. Now, now let me just say this too. We don't, we don't read here where he was ugly to her. He said, he said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath in my hand. There's none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. All that, you know, he was nice to her. You can be nice. You can, you can, you can reject somebody in a nice way. But if they persist, you may have a little problem there. But notice what else he said. He knew he didn't need to sin against his master, right? He knew that it would be. He said, how then can I do this great wickedness? But now, now notice he understood that he was not his own, that he was bought with a price. He said, and sin against God. Now, I don't want to, you know, I, I think often about David the king and what a, what a great trespass he committed against Uriah. You, know, you understand that Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba, that David, David took his wife and had him killed. 
But Uriah was listed as one of the mighty men, one of the heroes of David's kingdom. He was, a, I mean, what, how, how horrible, how terrible is that? Somebody's been loyal to you, has been a hero for you, and you steal his wife and murder him. Okay, that's bad. But see, even that's not as bad as it gets because he didn't sin against Uriah. He didn't commit a sin against Uriah. He had committed a trespass. He wronged him. But listen, Joseph knew the story. Joseph knew the truth. He said, I, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Remember, the fornication, the sin, any sin, but particularly the sin of fornication is against God. It's not just, it's against your body. It's against uh, maybe someone's boyfriend or husband or wife or something like that but it's against God and notice what Joseph did she kept on and on after him and finally she she caught him in verse 12 by his garment and said lie with me and he left his garment in her hand and fled <laughs> he fled literally and got him out he fled he ran he, he did exactly what Paul is going to uh, tell us that we need to do later that we've just read about. He fled fornication. There may be times you have to physically get yourself up and get yourself out of whatever situation it is in order to flee fornication. That's Paul's exit strategy. Run for your life. Remember what Hebrews said. We already read it. Marriage is honorable in all. The bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. In other words, it's not right outside of marriage. And in order to, you know, and listen, don't, don't hold this against God. God. God is not keeping you from this physical union between man and woman. He's not trying to keep something from you. He's trying to keep it for you. <laughs> He's trying to keep it for you. He put the marriage hedge around the sexual union in order for you to experience it the way it's supposed to be experienced. And the way to avoid this, the way to flee it, is to prepare yourself ahead of time. Again, like I said, once you're, when you wake up, when you wake up with your head in Delilah's lap, it's too late to decide what's right and wrong. Decide ahead of time. Don't fill your mind with images of fornication. Stay in the Word of God. You can't just quit something, by the way. You've got to start something. So, so oh, I'm, I've, I've been looking at images of pornography. I've been looking at images I shouldn't look at. What can I do? Don't just quit it. Fill your mind up with something else. Fill it up with the Word of God. Now, let me, let me finish up by saying this. Say, boy, preacher, you've stepped on my toes. <laughs> I've got a past. I've got stuff in my, in my life that I'm, not a, not, that I'm ashamed of. I'm not proud of. And uh, I guess there's just, uh, I'm just in the wrong place. <laughs> no, no, sweet friends, every saint has a past. And every sinner has a future. <laughs> every sinner that's been quickened by the grace of God has a future. Don't give up just because you've broken this commandment in the past. God will give you help. Remember what Brother Buddy read for us this morning? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because you're so strong and you're going to have it. No, because God works in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. What God commands, He enables. He enables you to do it. He gives you the ability to stand strong. He gives you the ability to flee when you know you ought to. How are you going to do that? Fill up your mind with the word of God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. That's a young man who has had an unclean way. So it's got to be cleaned up. How do you clean it up? Getting in the word of God. We're told that the purpose of the word of God. You can read it sometime. Our time is gone. But Proverbs 7. Read the first five verses. You know what the purpose of the word of God is? The purpose of the Proverbs is to keep you from the strange woman. Or the strange man. <laughs> yeah, you may have had problems in this area. If you have, bring it to him. Bring it to him. Don't give up. Don't say I'm not worthy. You're not worthy. <laughs> I'm not either. Say I don't belong here. Neither do I. <laughs> I know you don't belong here. I don't belong here. But God has made you worthy. And he has given you the ability. He has given me the ability to stand strong against sin. To flee fornication. To resist the devil. And he'll flee from us. 
Praise God. Run for your life. When it comes to this sin, run for your life. Stay away from it. May God help us to be able to stand strong. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.